Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and eventually we'll get there. As is often, I have a story to tell first. A famed pianist, Arthur Rubinstein, celebrated his 84th birthday and said, As long as we have what we have inside, the capacity to love, to work, to hear music, to see a flower, to look at the world as it is, nothing can stop us from being happy. But one thing you must take seriously, you must get rid of the ifs of life. Many people tell you, I would be happy if I had a certain job, or if I were better looking, or if a certain person would marry me. There isn't any such thing. You must live your life unconditionally without the ifs. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says here, I charge thee. means this can apply to you. It's not just to Timothy. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to preach God's word. It may be inadequate. I may make a completely mess out of things. I may stumble all over my words. I may have the wrong stories and the wrong verses and the wrong illustrations. But what's the goal? To do what God charged, which is to make sure that somebody preaches the word. So it's preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. This is hard. I don't know about you as a Christian, but understand one of the things God wants us to do is be ready to give an answer. Uh, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy when somebody comes up to you and asks you, hey, what does God say about pick a topic? And to know what the right answer is right off the top of your mind. Because usually for me, I get the deer in the headlight look. Somebody says something and I may know the verse I may have had it memorized for as long as I've been alive and then the deer in the headlight looks I can't remember anything in fact I can't remember the ver- enough of the verse right now to even look for it on my computer you know it can be one of those things but what do you do do the best job that you can it continues on it says in season out of season reprove so if you're going to preach the word one of the things that we have to understand is you're going to have to reprove some people and that's not nice that's not friendly. Uh, that's not what the world thinks Christianity should be. Uh, reprove means to charge with a fault. There are sometimes as a Christian, we need to call a spade a spade, especially when you're preaching the word. Uh, look, I can open up certain chapters in the Bible and I can just read it and people are going to get offended. I don't even have to tell you what it means, although people will argue that's, that is your interpretation. No, I just read it. I didn't do any interpretation. You know, it's just reading. It's all it takes sometimes. But then it goes on. Besides that, it said rebuke. Now this is making it really personal. I'm taking it to you and I'm giving it to you. Why? You need to be rebuked. There's something going on that this is beyond, beyond what we were talking about before. It needs to put you under the thumb. That's what preaching should do sometimes. Yes, everybody loves to hear a good message with great illustrations and great stories and happily ever after and all those kinds of things. But we also need as Christians to hear somebody just get it on and take us to the woodshed and give us what thus saith the Lord. Why? We need that. On top of that, after that, it says, after all of that, then it says, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Okay, after you get through that other stuff, then there's some times where you're going to have to exhort some people. You're going to have to build them up. You're going to have to help strengthen them. And when you do it, guess what? you got to use long-suffering. So when you preach, there's not a whole, necessarily a whole lot of long-suffering if you're doing the, re, the rebuke part. But when you get beyond that and the person goes, Yay, Lord, I'm standing in need of prayer. It's me. Then comes in, okay, now with long-suffering. With patience, you need to try to tell them the direction to go. Here's some Bible verses. Here's some things that are going to help you in your Christian walk. I want to be a blessing to you. That's the hard part of Christianity. Guess what? This is the same thing as a parent. Guess what is a parent? Please do not stick your finger into the light socket or a screwdriver or any other metal object that you can find. And Maybe you didn't have one of those kids. I had one of those boys, you know. We had a fireplace when he was just barely moving around. And it's like, do not touch the fireplace because we had one of those inserts. It is hot, very hot, right? And what do they got to do? You have that kid that's just like, I know mom and dad told me no, but 
You know, and so you're always watching them. You're trying to catch them because you don't want them to get hurt. Well, you know, sometimes there's some kids, they need a little bit of hurt to make them go, oh, I guess I don't want to give maybe mom and dad were actually really trying to help me. Guess what? God's the same way. Sometimes God brings trials and things into our lives. What is he trying to do? He's like, I'm just trying to prepare you for something that's coming down the road. And I'd really like to help you. You know, it's kind of like them little roundabouts you guys have here. I don't know about you, but I hate them. I absolutely, I despise them. And now I'm going to tell you, I have a, I have a, that's not a biblical reason, but I have a reason why I despise them. Cause I was in Europe and they have them there, but they're totally different there. They have, this is a wild idea on theirs. They have like three, four lanes in their roundabout, not one. <laughs> what is the, You're supposed to be able to just, <sighs> There's some engineer somewhere that thought this is a good idea. I don't know why. They just do. Sorry, that's just the ramblings of how my brain thinks sometimes. Um, but nonetheless, we have this charge from uh, Paul unto Timothy, and it comes to us as Christians, and it talks about how we're supposed to deal with preaching the word. And by the way, by preaching the word, I don't care if you're a male or female, there's times in your life where God's calling you to say, thus saith the Lord. And I understand, I'm not trying to change what the Bible says. I'm just realizing that, you know what? Yes, God wants a man to be up here preaching the word. But guess what? If a man's not going to show up and a man's not going to do his job, then God's going to find the next qualified person or maybe the more qualified person, depending on the case. Because I can guarantee you when we get to heaven, there's probably going to be Bible school lessons led by some grandma who grew up in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains somewhere. And she just believed the book. And there's going to be all these people that had PhDs and all these other things behind their nades, and grandma's going to teach them some things about the Bible. You know, and that just may be great preaching and not really truth, but there's this, there's a certain amount of, that would be so cool, you know, kind of a thing. But why? We all have to be able to carry the truth that God gives us, and in love, we're supposed to pass it on to somebody else. I understand when somebody gets back behind here and they preach and they're preaching on a sin that's bugging you. Understand, when they're preaching on it and they're putting on heavy, what should be the underlying thing for them is love. You may not feel it. Because let's face it, nobody wants to get up here and preach about sin. That's really not the most enjoyable thing to do in the world. Especially when you know and you're looking out there and you're preaching on this and you can see, uh uh-oh, them and them and you know you you can tell who's like i mean there's the people who are sleeping because let's just face it you're not that entertaining but then there's the whole other thing people you know it's hitting them it's going right for their heart that's not fun and you can tell some people sometimes when you're preaching on stuff there's going to get something and you're going to see somebody in tears I mean, you have just lashed their heart open over something that's going on in their lives that doesn't make you feel good. But it may be needful for them to make the next step. And if God's telling you to do it, that's what you need to do. But it should be in love. If the only thing I I ever do or another pastor do is just get up and beat on people constantly 7 by 24, you got the wrong person. They're not what God told them to do. You're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Not just the part of beating up the saints. Now, you may major in that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, that being said, it's a whole other thing to sit on the other side and receive it and go, Lord, is this to me? Are you, are you trying to reach me with this? Are you trying to use this situation in my life to, to teach me, to grow me, to, to mold me? You know, because it's very easy in our world we live today to go, oh, this is just a complete accident. Yeah, it's a complete accident. You showed up in church. God knew who was going to be there, and God knew the message is going to preach. Yeah, that's an accident. Dream on. The hard part then is to go, Lord, if this message is for me, help me to receive it. Or here's the part that's even harder. Somebody's preaching on something, and God starts convicting you about something totally different, and you go, okay, Lord. Your Holy Spirit speaking to me about something totally different than what he's preaching on. But yes, Lord, your servant, I want to listen to what you have to say. That's the right heart attitude to the preaching of the word. Turn down to second Timothy or back to second Timothy chapter two and verse 11. Here's Paul speaking to Timothy again. He says, it is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. 
If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. We're going to look at some ifs in 2 Timothy, and they're all right here in this little bit. Sometimes you can just take a little bit of the Bible and just a verse or a couple verses, and you can just sit on there and just chew on that all day like you were a cow or a goat, and you've got the greatest uh, grain or grass out in the yard, and you're just sitting out there just, you know, you chew it in, and then you just see them chewing their cud. That's what we're going to try to do today, and if the Lord willing and helping me out, that's what we're going to do with this right here. So the first thing we see of ifs in the second Timothy is in verse uh, 11, and it says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. So what does this mean? That means you need to die to yourself. To be dead with him. You need to be baptized into his baptism of death. And we're going to go through this a little bit more, but basically this is talking about, are you saved? And I don't, let, let's just face it. I do not know the personal testimonies of everybody here. I don't even know the person, personal testimonies of everybody in my church. Now I know a lot of them, but I don't know all of them, but that's a good question for us to ask ourselves are, are we in the faith? Am I truly saved? And here's the what we do in our, uh, you guys have the track out there, the, the three things God cannot do. We've got three boxes that you open the door and those three things are in there. That's what we do at our fair ministry. Our fair ministry is not to get people to join our church. Our fair ministry, the only purpose of it is to get people saved and if nothing else, to make them question. So when they come through there, we go through the three doors, you know, and we get to the last one and God can't let sin into heaven. It's like so. What percentage are you sure you're going to go to heaven? Right? So this would be the example of it is, you know, uh, I'm going to pick on somebody and you're right in the front. So it'd be like zero to a hundred percent. How sure are you that if anything, you left church here and somebody in a big Humvee that's hollow hopped up about six feet off the ground, just drives right over you and you're dead. How sure are you that you'd go to heaven immediately? Okay. hundred percent. If that answer is not 100%, then you need to get that worked on. Do not, I'm just telling you right now, if that answer is not 100% right in here, do not leave after church or during church until you get that settled. That is the most important question you need to be able to answer and answer that's 100% than anything else. And there are people here that are more than willing with God's love to show you out of the Bible what it takes to be 100%. I'm not going in. This is not a message for the lost people today. This is a message for the saved people. But nonetheless, if I'm going to preach the word, I do need to make sure that if anybody's out there and they are not saved or you're not 100% sure, let's make sure. Most of the people that I talk to, I talk to about a dozen people there. I asked them, they're not 100% sure. I went to the Bible and we did the Romans road or John's road and you go through it and they're like, well, I did all that. Then you're saved. But the question is, they don't know that they're saved. You need to know. That's got to be something beyond a shadow of a doubt. That shouldn't be some, well, maybe a kind of, well, when I'm doing good or as long as I'm doing good, that's not what it is. You're either in God's family or you're not. So Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six. And we're going to start in verse six. So Romans six, six, knowing that this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. One of the things that should happen to you when you get saved is some of those things that had power and complete control out of you shouldn't have complete control over you anymore. And a lot of those, God, when you first get saved and you're a young Christian, God will just take them away. I've known people that have had drug and alcohol addictions and they've gotten saved and they've had no desire whatsoever anymore. It's gone. God took it away. But God doesn't take everything away. It's not like some people have this idea of Christianity is like when you get saved, you're now perfect and life is good. And, and it's like being in a huge metal wall with flowers and you can just hop around like little baby goats and life will be great. That's not the Christian walk. That's not the Christian walk. You won't find that in the Bible. <clears throat> After verse six, 
It says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. This is talking in a biblical sense that when you die to yourself, when you get saved, what God does is all the sins that you paid for and did in the past, God or Jesus Christ paid for them on the cross. They're gone. And it goes beyond that. God says he reckons your body to be dead. I don't know about you, but if you were dead and you're driving, just go with me on this. You're dead. You're driving down the road and you go right through a stop sign, past the cop. You're speeding. Maybe you're in reverse and speeding on a one-way street the wrong way. This does happen. I had a friend that actually got pulled over from Louisiana. He was speeding. His lights were off. He's going the wrong way in a one-way and I guess maybe something else. I don't even remember. He got pulled over by the cop and, and he got a warning for, I think, not doing the stop sign, I think. Something like that. Um, and that might be the case with you. But the, the whole goal of this when we, when we look at all this is you're freed from your sins. All that curse from the sins and all the other stuff, God takes away. And he reckons your flesh dead. He makes your spirit alive that died when you committed that first sin as a young man or a young woman or child or whatever age you were when you knew for the first time you went against what God wanted you to do by the conscience he put in you. Your spirit died and your flesh and your soul were welded together. Well, what happens when you get saved is he does the circumcision done and he separates out that dead flesh from that soul, and he takes your soul, and he welds it to that spirit that gets born again. And when he does that, all the stuff you do now that you're saved is deposited on a dead flesh. Because guess what? What is the cop going to do? You're dead. He can't. The law does not apply to you. It doesn't. And that's one of the things that people forget about dealing with laws. Our laws are very specific. You have to have jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is just not because I'm a cop and so and so. You have to have jurisdiction over the person and you have to have jurisdiction over the crime. If you're dead, they've got no jurisdiction over you. They, they what are they going to do? What are you going to do? I'm already dead. Right? That's the kind of thing that's going on here and it helps us understand this verse. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. This is part of this is to help us understand you don't keep getting saved over and over again. This isn't where you get saved and then you commit a a sin and you lose it and then you got to get saved again. Christ died on the cross once for all and he paid it all. All to him I owe. Here's the hard part, but it does mess up your fellowship with the Lord. But continuing on, it says, uh, where is it? Where we were at? Uh, verse nine, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Okay, here's the us part. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in, uh, it in the lust thereof. If you're dead, that drugs and that alcohol and that, what it fill in the blank with whatever it is for you, should no longer have any, the desire's gone. There shouldn't be anything there. Why? You're dead. But notice it uses the word reckon. That means you have to do that. Um, I think one of the first times I preached here, I preached the message about the heart. And if, when you are a lost person with your heart in your heart, the only thing you have is a throne and you're on it. But when you get saved, God puts a little altar in there and God says, guess what? Now that you're saved, you have a choice. You dictate where people sit. So you get up on the altar because you choose to do it. And that means Jesus Christ is on the throne. But if you decide to take the reins of your life and be in control of everything, you're sitting on the throne. Jesus Christ is on the altar. And that's not the way it should be because he paid it all. He paid for our sins. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look in verses 9 and 10. Romans 8, verse starting in verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You either have the Holy Spirit in you or you don't. That's it. It's a yes, no. There's no non-binary answer to this. 
There's no whatever other options you want to think. There's no gray area. You're either saved or you're not biblically. Uh, Romans 8, uh, verse 10. And it says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. One of the things that should happen when you get saved is you should come alive spiritually. There should be some things in your life that have changed. And I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying that God fixed what everybody thinks your top 10 list is that you need to be fixed on. Because I can tell you this right now, you probably have a top 10 list for me, but I'm going to tell you the only top 10 list that matters is what God's top 10 list for me, not yours. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront people at the right time if God tells us to about rebuking them or those kinds of things. But understand, God's top 10 10 list for me, your 10 may not even make it anywhere on his list. Why? Because God's dealing from the inside out. He's like a microwave. God does not deal with the outside first. When you get saved, the idea that you should be wearing a tie and a suit and all this kind of stuff, that's man's stuff. God says, I don't care about the outside apparent. I'm trying to get to your heart and I'm trying to deal with your heart to work on the inside out. And if I work on the inside out, all the rest of the stuff will come with time. Because let's face it, a lot of people today, when you witness to them and you get them saved, they don't know anything. They don't know the Bible stories. They don't know different parts of the Bible. They may have never been in a church before. We're not putting people into a box. That's a fundamentalist viewpoint. We're going to make everybody dress and look and talk the same and all this other stuff. That's not God. God made us unique. God gave us unique talents and capabilities, and he wants to use those. He doesn't want a whole bunch of me walking around. Praise God. You don't want that either. (laughs) Turn over to Colossians, or let's sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, that's us when we're lost, we're dead in sins, hath quickened, make alive, us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. It's the grace of God that gets us saved. It's nothing else. It's not because you cleaned yourself up. It's not because you memorized so many Bible verses. It's not because you went to some program at church. It's not because mommy and daddy were preachers or grandma was a preacher or a missionary or what it fill in. It doesn't matter what the rest of it is. That doesn't have any bearing on it. The only thing that matters is your relation to Jesus Christ. Are you his child or aren't you? You're not getting into heaven because you're related to some uh, godly saint of a grandmother. That's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, we could, uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 to 15 talks about this. And he talks about when, the, when he takes that sin, he nails it to the cross. All the sins you'll ever commit in your entire life. All of them. Why? Because he knows them all. Before you were born, he knew every single sin you will ever commit in your life. And he nailed every single one of them to that cross. Because Jesus paid it all. In Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 27 to 28, it talks about, uh, Paul talking about the, the glory of the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's something he gave to the Gentiles. Paul, the apostles to the Gentiles, and he went to him when he was preaching to him, he goes, I want to teach you a mystery is the fact that when you get saved, Christ moves in with you. That's not something anybody in the Old Testament ever had. Yeah, the Spirit could come and go. Yeah, they had no guarantee the Holy Spirit would show up. That means if you get saved, the Holy Spirit's with you, even if you decide to completely reject the Lord Jesus Christ and everything and run off and do whatever you want for the rest of your life, He's still inside of you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, Turn over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. The, first, the second one in Second Timothy chapter 2 that talks about the if says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. In, uh, in where would I tell you to go? Eh, where is it? Yeah, John 11. 
Sorry, lost my spot. No, don't worry, it'll happen to you. You'll get old timers one of these days too. You just wait. And if it's not old timers, it's called teenagers. Same difference. John chapter 11 and verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What is he talking about? A death? Understand, there's some things that may happen in your life that they are not because of sinful stuff you've done in your life. And I'm not discounting. Maybe you did a whole bunch of really bad sin things. But there are some things that happen in your Christian life. The reason they're there is so God can get some glory. The question is, are you going to let him? Are you going to get in the way? That's really the only question. Because as a Christian, if you live any length of time, you are going to suffer. It is a given. I mean, I'm sure we could sit down here and take a mic and pop it off here. Well, that's not wireless, so, you know, we'd have to fake that. And then go around everybody, and we could find about some things where we've had to suffer. Maybe you've had to have suffer somebody attacking your character. Whether it's in this church family, or whether it's your own family, or whether it's work, you've had people attack your character and say things about you that are not true. There's all sorts of different ways to suffer. It doesn't have to be like Brother Ken, who's sitting in a hospital right now. That's not the only way to suffer. You know, God may take you and send you to a foreign country where it's you and your family, and that's it. I mean, think about some of these missionaries. When they go to the foreign field, it's not like the other people on the other side are going, come on. You know, it's not like Paul's vision. Come to Thessalonica and come on over here and preach to us. Yeah, that worked out good. They stoned him to death, right? Oh, they really loved having him over there. Well, think about some of the missionaries when God puts a call in their heart and he sends them to some foreign land. They're not like having a sign with thousands of people waiting for him at the airport. He's going to get off not knowing a language probably or not knowing it very well, going to people that he doesn't know anybody to try to teach them about a God they don't know anything about and give them the message that they don't want to hear. You can suffer doing that. Why? Because you've got nobody else there to help you. And if you go as a single man or a single woman, you're it. And imagine what the suffering goes on when you have some little kids and they're just like trying to be friends with other kids and other kids are like, we're not going to play with you. Brother Brigham, who's Japan, he's one of the missionaries I believe you guys support. His two boys, because they did not go to public school, a lot of the sports and other stuff were tied to the school they weren't allowed to do. But see, the problem is if you went to public school, you had to do all the Shintoism stuff and you had to go to the temples and you had to bow and do all this other stuff. It's like, I can't send my kids to do that. So the kids end up getting the brunt of some of those things. That's some, that's something that can happen with us in our suffering. Uh, turn over to Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. If you suffer for him, you're going to get a reward. God is not going to be a debtor to any man. But the problem is, that's a choice that you have to make. You have to choose to allow yourself to be defrauded, to allow yourself to suffer through these things, and then do it God's way. Because anybody can go, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like what... Nobody wants to suffer. I mean, if if God were to give me the ability to truly heal people like some of the charismatics like to talk about, believe me, I'd go in and I'd empty out a hospital. I'd start an ER and then we'd just let's walk our way through. Of course, I'd probably start at Brother Ken's, you know, you know, room first. But, you know, because he's the only one I'd know that'd be in there anyways. But why? Why would I want anybody to suffer if I had that talent and that capability? I don't know about you, and let's just face it, yeah, there's, there's people I don't like, but there's nobody I don't like that much. Um, Joe Dunlap, a good friend of mine, his wife Alice, who's somebody that I've known for a long time, first through our church and then through Camp Northwest, she just passed away a couple days ago due to cancer. If I had that capability, believe me, I would have been one of the first people in line to say, hey, we need to pray, we need to lay on hands, whatever it is, to take this away. But that wasn't what God's plan for her was. Her, God's plan for her suffering. Realize, in July, I was at a camp for a week with her. She had no clue about the cancer. A month later, she's dead. 
did I pray for her? Yes, many times a day. Ken and her are multiple times a day. I'm praying for both of them in my prayers. That wasn't her lot. God wanted her to suffer to the end of her life. That can happen to any of us. You shall receive the reward of the inheritance. An inheritance is something that's given to you, but you can lose it. You can choose to say, Lord, I don't want to suffer. And God goes, okay, I'll just give. You don't have to have the inheritance then. There's something that if you would have done the suffering for, I have something to give you back for it because God is not a debtor to any man. If you do something for him, you're going to get a reward. may not be on this earth, though. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I think the Revelation chapter or Revelation is a great book. It's a good book for end times. We should know how to read it. We should know how to divide it. Uh, we should know some things about it. Why? Because we can use it to talk to other people. So in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2, it says, talking about the angel in verse 1, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bowed him a thousand years. See, the Bible has a whole bunch of different names for different people. I don't know about you, but my family, we have names for all sorts of people. For instance, my second daughter, her legal name, first name is Emily. Growing up uh, with my dad, she was called Henpecky. So, you know, that was just the name that she got. Uh, for her, when we had the set of twins after her, the first boy, his name's, well, actually his first name's Jeffrey and his middle name's Liam. We called him Liam. It didn't matter. She was like one and something, whatever. She just called him Bubba. So he became Bubba. So in our family, when you say Bubba, that's pretty much who everybody thinks of is my one son. Why? Because of these names. Well, the same thing with the Satan. Satan's got all these different names. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we study the Bible that sometimes we have to learn some things. And one of those things is there's a reason why God uses these different names. And then it continues on. It says, cast him into the bottomless split for a thousand years um, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations more till the thousand years be fulfilled. Uh, by the way, this thousand years thing, it kind of happens several times here in Revelation chapter 20. If you were like me and went to a Church of God of Anderson, Indiana, they are all millennial. They do not believe what we just read. They do not believe there's a thousand-year reign of anything. doesn't happen. Ah, not. Millennium, thousand years. Really simple. So when you're studying the Latin-based languages, if there's an A in front of it, it means not. So, for instance, the word amusement, muse, to think. A in front of it, amusement, not to think. That's what it means. So this millennial reign, there are many churches. I don't know what churches you have here in this town, but there are, I'm sure there's probably someone here who do not believe what the Bible says about a millennial reign. They are clearly going against what God said. Continue on. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There is going to come a period of time of reigning. The, the question is, what's your inheritance going to be? See, this is when some of those parables come back is, he who is faithful in a little is given much. Some of these things that you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're reading Revelation chapter 20, you start seeing some connections going on. But to continue on in this is that during this time, God's going to set up a whole bunch of people who are going to be in charge of things, priests and kings. You have some opportunities with your inheritance to be in the government. But look, at this is the good government. It's not going to be in debt far beyond what it'll ever be able to pay. It's a holy and righteous government. That's what's coming. So there's an illustration I'd like to give you. It's uh, about the Argyles, the Scottish soldiers, and their buddy system. In World War II, there was a camp the Japanese had, and it was basically, uh, you know, the group of people who were all living there would just steal from each other. The food, blankets, anything, they, any, whatever it was, they would steal everybody from everybody, even though they were all prisoners together in there. The, uh, there was a whole bunch of Scottish soldiers that came in and they brought their buddy system, AKA muckers. So a mucker was somebody who is your buddy that you were responsible for, that you were supposed to take care of. And in this particular case, there's a star, uh, there's a story of Angus and his mucker was dying and everyone had given up on him. Everyone, but Angus. 
He had made up his mind that his friend would not die. Someone had stolen his mucker's blanket, so Angus gave him his own, telling his mucker that he had just come across an extra one. Likewise, every mealtime, Angus would give his rations and take them to his friend, stand over him and make sure and force him to eat. Angus was going to do anything and everything to see that his buddy got what he needed to recover. But as Angus Mucker began to recover, Angus collapsed, slumped over, and died. The doctors discovered that he died of starvation complication, complicated by exhaustion. He'd be giving his own food and shelter. He'd been given everything that he had, even his life, to his friend. The ramifications of his acts of love and unselfishness had a startling impact on the compound. John 15, greater love hath no man. As word circulated for the reason for Angus McGillivray's death, the feel of the camp began to change. Suddenly men began to focus on their mates, their friends, and humanity of living beyond survival. And they started giving one to another. And they began to pool their talents and their capabilities to help everybody survive. Everybody took responsibility for somebody else. This is how a Christian family is supposed to walk. This is how a church family is supposed to work. There's going to come some, some, some time. There's some people here. It may be not right now. It may be years in the future where you're going to have a need. And that's where God wants to use the talents and the blessings and the capabilities of somebody else and say, hey, here you go. I, I've been doing all this for you to build you up and to strengthen you and encourage you. Why? So then you can take care of this. This is this. You got this kind of a thing. They started a, they made an orchestra full of homemade instruments and started a church service. And it was called the Church Without Walls. And it was so powerful and so compelling that even the Japanese guards showed up to those services. You know what? Sometimes we're the limitation of what God can do in a miraculous way. God's just waiting for us to be faithful. He's just waiting for us to go, yes, Lord, I'm willing to suffer so that you can receive all the praise, glory, and honor. The next one, he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. I know that there's people in this probably community that will tell you, see, you can lose your salvation, except they're not looking what the context is. You may lose your reign, not your salvation. You're going to lose your reign. How do we know? We'll look at the next verse that we'll know for sure why that is. But right now we're talking about denying us. Matthew chapter 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if you're going to come after me, what do you got to do? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's a commandment that's given to a Christian today too. What does he want you to do? Deny yourself. Because let's just face it, the self here, the flesh, it's got a whole bunch of wants. You know, maybe it's one of those, like you have one of those that I want to go to Wendy's. Uh, maybe for you, it's a uh, mod pizza or, you know, uh, the Spanish place down here and uh, down a couple streets, you know, I, whatever the restaurant is for you, maybe it's your flesh speaking to you. It's like, you know, I've been in church service and I hope he hurries up and finishes up because I don't want to be late and have all the other churches show up and then I'll be in a long line and all that kind of stuff. And then God has a sense of humor about that time. The person next door is in a barbecue and all you have is wafting all these wonderful smells of barbecue. And your mind's going, yeah, I'm trying to listen to the message, Lord, but, but there's barbecue. <laughs> that kind of thing. Turn over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In your personal walk, there may be times that you decide not to take up your cross and follow him. Because it's a choice that you have to make. Luke chapter 19. And we're starting verse 22. And he saith unto him, out of thine, uh, whoops. Yeah. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I am an austere man, taking up that what I laid down and reaping that which I did not sow. Wherefore thou gavest not thou my money into the bank that at my coming, I might have required mine own with usury. And this is talking about, uh, basically, the Lord here is talking about the servants, and they're given so much money, and it's like, what did they do with it? What did they do with their talents of gold? And one of them says, well, I just buried it, because I knew you were really mean and nasty, and I didn't want to lose it. And here's it, him talking about that. And he says, and he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. 
But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Did you read that? Is that your loving, sharing, kind, caring Lord? He's saying, I've got some expectations for you. And your expectations are not to take those talents and skills and capabilities that I gave you and bury them away where they stay until the day that you leave here or the trumpet blows. That's not what they're there for. I didn't give you that wonderful personality that has the ability to just be the otter of life and go speak to anybody for no reason. And you just bury it down and you don't use it for me. God says, I want you to use it for my glory. But if you decide to deny him, there will be a cost. I'm not talking about your salvation. What you're going to lose is your inheritance, your ability to reign with him, your ability to see the reward for all the works that you've done where you didn't get the reward here on earth. One of the greatest things we can do as Christians is do something for somebody else and have nobody know except God. Uh, we've had people in our church um, that I can't even count how many times that I know it, that it's happened where somebody's come out, they've gotten their car and they pull down the visor or they do something out and out falls some money. Why? Because somebody in the church heard there was a need and they didn't want to get the glory. They didn't put a little note that, hey, this is for me just trying to be a blessing to you. This was God laid it on my heart. I'm just going to, I'm just going to give. And I don't want anybody to know who I am. Why? So I can get the praise and glory from him so he can reward me because I want his rewards more than I want man's. That's what it means to deny yourself. And the greatest Christians are the ones that said, hey, me, I'm not important. He's important. And and whatever it is that he wants me to do, however he wants me to do it, that's my goal in life. I can honestly tell you for the majority of life, that's not been where I'm at. I'm still struggling and trying to do that today. It's not like I have somehow arrived. So now because I've arrived, I can get up and preach to people. I have to preach to me first. I have to read these verses. I have to study these verses and go, Lord, I'm standing here in the need of prayer. And now I got to get up in front of people. Not only do I have to read it and convict myself, then I got to get up in front of people and preach it to them. And convict myself all over again, whether or not it convicts them. That's got God's sense of humor. Sometimes he gives you a message. He's like, this is just for you. Everybody else, it's not for them. Uh, sorry, you know, it's one of those apologies from God. You had to listen to this message because of me. You know, one of those kinds of things. That can happen. Why? Because it's God. He knows what we need. No matter the... the Everything within my being, if I had the ability to go into Ken's room this afternoon and pray for him and he'd be completely healed, I would do it. But you know what? That's not God's will. Because believe me, if it was that simple, we wouldn't be here today. He'd be up here preaching and not me. But there's obviously something going on there of a spiritual thing that we don't all understand now and we may never understand this side of glory. But that doesn't mean the rewards can't come. Sometimes in your most difficult struggles, that's when you can get the greatest rewards. It's not when you're on the mountaintop experience and you're singing at the top of your lungs and you're skipping rope and everything's great. It's when you're in that deep, dark valley and things aren't looking good and things aren't going the way you want. And you just go, okay, Lord, yes, Lord, whatever you, whatever you want, whatever you want. Pastor Jim Symbol of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church uh, talks about a homeless man. So in his church, there's always people that come in and out and all those kinds of things. And I'm not saying I agree with everything he preaches and teaches, but he gave an illustration that really spoke to me. And he said he got up and he was preaching a salvation message. And at the end of it, um, you know, he's doing the meet and greet as pastors are supposed to do and saying hi to everybody. He said he saw this homeless man making a beeline tor- towards him. And he thought, oh, Lord, here comes another one, you know, kind of a thing. And we all do this in our own way. Homeless guy comes up to him. He stinks. He's got bad breath. And we're not just talking morning breath. It's the clothes he's wearing. It's everything. And as this man comes up to him, 
Jim Cimbala takes out his wallet and starts pulling out some dollars. And the guy reaches out his hand and says, I don't want your money. I want that Jesus you were talking about. I don't know about you, but if I was Jim Cimbala up there, that would have slipped me apart from one end to the other because I just preached a message about Jesus Christ and wanting it. And I see somebody coming up and all I can think about is they want money. Not thinking about what God might be doing in this situation. See, that's the hard time is we often get this mindset of what we think the situation is. And God's like, you don't have a clue. You don't understand what's going on. And here's this homeless man. He said, I don't care about money. I just want that Jesus you're talking about. Guess what? There's going to be some people out there that you're going to go to. And they're like, please tell me about Jesus. And I'm going to let you know, I've had this happen to me once, only once. I went to a core worker. I don't know why. God knows. Uh, he was sitting in his thing. It was after the work hours. He's working late on something. And so I got to witnessing to him. I don't know. I can tell you honestly, this was not premeditated. I had no thoughts of witnessing to him. I ended up witnessing to him. And, and I did, you know, an okay job, I think. I mean, and I said, so, you know, would you like to pray and get saved? And he said, yes. Okay, right there, my jaw dropped because nobody ever just says yes. I mean, maybe that works for you, not for me. Usually I get the glare and all sorts of other stuff. But he said yes. So we prayed and, you know, and went through and asked him and went over to First John chapter 5 and showed him, are you saved? Absolutely, blah, 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 blah. And, and then you're like, what just happened? It doesn't happen this way. You don't know. I know a pastor one talk, time, he talked about he moved into Milwaukee. He was out in the neighborhood, you know, just going around. And there's this guy working on this car. And he came out to him and, and he said, hey, do you mind if I just, can I talk to you a little bit while the guy's working on the car? He's like, nah, go ahead. And he said, I was a witness to this guy giving the plan of salvation. And he's like, you could tell this guy agreed to like him. Well, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. And he, and he said, so have you ever just asked the Lord to save you? He's like, no. And he goes, is there anything stopping you from doing it? No. And he said, the guy just dropped right in front of him. Didn't even, he just dropped and started praying in front of him. He's like, I don't know what to do now. It's like, this isn't, they didn't, they don't teach you this in the manual. So he's like, well, okay. He got down on his knees next to the guy. He's like, oh Lord, he's, and the guy, he prayed a great prayer. He said, all he needed was somebody to ask him to get saved. He already knew everything. Sometimes God, that's what he wants from you. Just ask him. Just ask him. Let's turn back over to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In our little section here of 11 to 13, we're going to look in verse 13. This is a verse you need to know. You need to know this verse. It says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You may get saved, and you may deny the Lord Jesus Christ, but he says, I know who are mine. I'm not going to forget. You might forget. You might get Alzheimer's, dementia. You may have a car accident you get into and have brain damage, and you may not remember that you're saved. Guess what? God says, I'm faithful. I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry about that. you got a lot of enough things to worry about with you and your flesh and the world and the devil. You don't need to worry about this one. I got this one. Let's turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know them and they follow me. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but one of the common things they do in the Middle East with sheep is at certain times they'll bring them all to a shared pen. All these different kinds of sheep from all these different farms, essentially, and they'll bring them into this one pen. And then when it's time to go, they'll open the door and the shepherd will call his sheep. They all know who they belong to and they all go when they follow him. They know who they belong to. And it continues on to them. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Understand, it doesn't matter what man can do. My father which gave them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Jesus Christ here is doing a couple things. The first thing he's letting you know, I'm God. I am part of the Godhead. I'm part of the Trinity, the three in one. And I, what I'm telling you is when you get saved, God puts you into my hand. I've got you. You don't have to worry about it. I got this covered. 
And he said, there's nobody that you know of that has the power to take you out of my hand. No one. Because why? I and my father are one. See, if I was just some lesser God, like what the Mormons believe, or the Jehovah's Witness believe, or whoever fill in the blank, or I was just a good man or a prophet, you'd have to be worried. But he's telling you right here, I and my father are one. I am God. And because of that, nobody's taking them out. Now, you might not like them and you may not want them in there, but guess what? They're saved. They're coming. It's like the old saying, if you don't like me, your first, you know, thousand years in heaven might be a little bit of a trouble. You're going to have to deal with me because I'm going to be there too. Praise God. Turn over Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There have been many times in my life, I'm going to tell you, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 are two verses that I'll run to. Because there's some things that happen in your life, you're going to need an answer, and this gives you some of the, one of the answers to some, certain problems. It says, for I am persuaded. I am convinced. I do not doubt. That's all gone. I am persuaded that neither death doesn't, doesn't matter if I die. Neither life. It doesn't matter what I do in this life. Good choices, bad choices, doesn't matter. Anything I can possibly conceive of or do in this life, then it continues on. Nor angels. It doesn't matter about any angel that's out there, fallen, lost, 1,215-headed angel, whatever it is that you're thinking of. I don't have to worry about that either. Then it continues on. Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. It doesn't matter what happens in the future. There is nothing, this verse tells us as we continue on, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. She'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Once you get saved, there is absolutely nothing that exists, nothing that you can do. There is no spiritual evil wickedness out there that can separate you from the love of God. Now, you can choose to walk away and not have that fellowship. That's your right. You have that choice. But you cannot be separated. Why? Because you're in his hand. You are sealed into the day of redemption. And when they did sealings in the Eastern, what that meant was when you sealed it and you signed it as a king, only a person of a higher rank than you can open it. How are you going to unseal yourself when God says, I've sealed you until the day of redemption? You've got no power to break that seal. Why? He's God. And all of these things here list all the arguments mankind has. Well, I've messed up. I've done this. I've done that. And I need to get saved again. No, you don't. Because you never got lost in the first place. You're just confused. Uh, maybe you're just in a tough spot. And you think that nobody can love you because of the choices you made. There's no way God can love me because I did this. We just read the list. There's nothing you can do in this life to take you away from the love the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. That means you can go around and you can be the worst atheist known to mankind or the worst Christian, the best atheist known to mankind or the best agnostic either way. And God says, it doesn't matter. I know who you are. You can deny me, but I'm not going to deny I'm in you. You're coming to heaven whether you like it or not. And there probably will be a few people that are going to be really upset when the trumpet blows and God says, it's time for you to go. Bye. Yeah, but I thought, doesn't matter what you think. But I feel, doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what the book says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 12 to 27 talks about the church body. And he says it's, it's many members. Not everybody's fingers, not everybody's toes, eyes, ears. It's all of us together that make a church family. It's a body. That means when people don't show up, you're missing part of your body. That's also why it says you're not supposed to forsake the, the assembling of yourselves together. Why? You're a body. In order for this church or any church to do its best, it needs everybody to show up. Right. And that means you may have to show up and listen to a substitute teacher. Just sorry. It's just, it's for whatever reason. 
but it's a body. It's supposed to work together to accomplish the goals. And to do those goals, it's just not like the fingers doing stuff. No, see, they get all the praise and the glory and honor because they're big shots or whatever else. It takes everybody because somebody's got to move the feet and the toes and the legs and put the arms to work and the muscles of the arms and all these other things to get jobs done. It is never one person. If anything ever gets done in God's Word Baptist Church, it is not because of Pastor Ken Stewart. And I love him as a brother, but let's just be real. It's everybody. Because his goal is to try to give you what God wants to give you and help you set a course and a vision of where to go. And then it's supposed to be everybody get together as a church family and let's go. That also means, consequently, when Brother Ken's not here, all of you should know what the vision is of the church and where you're trying to go. Let's just keep going. Just because he's here does not stop all the other stuff that we need to do. It doesn't stop having a Wednesday service or a Sunday night service. It doesn't stop witnessing and tracting and all the other stuff. That all needs to continue. Why? Because it's never one man. If you're only coming to church because of Pastor Ken Stewart, shame on you. Shame on you. Because most of you are a little bit older. You should know better. You're coming here because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And he told you this is where you need to be. It is not because of him. And look, I love Brother Ken. Um, Him and his wife have been good friends for ours for 13, 14 years, I think now. Something like that. Uh, I got to spend time with them over in uh, Boise. Um, I have a great love for them both and their family. They're great people. But guess what? If if God chooses to take him out of the way and take Amy out of the way at the same time, it doesn't change the responsibility that you all have as a church family to keep serving and keep following the Lord Jesus Christ and go in the same direction. But that's a choice you have to make as a church body. And believe me, I've seen some churches when things didn't go well and the pastor leaves for whatever reason, good and bad, and I've seen some complete train wreck happen. I have. You know what the first problem is? There's a whole bunch of people who are pretending they were going along in the direction, but it was a lie. That's not the way it should be in the Christian walk. Look, none of us are perfect. None of us. If Paul said he was chief of all sinners, it's only because he never met me. I got him beat. Because <laughs> I don't even have the excuse of, well, Lord, you know, I was doing everything out of the part of the book that I had. I don't even have that. But it doesn't change the fact is once the Lord speaks to us, we need to follow in the directions he's telling us to go. And we need to do it as a church family. We need to pray for one another. We need to help each other when we can. And that can be all sorts of different ways that God's going to speak to you individually um, on how to do. In Ephesians 4, 6, and 7, it says there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Getting wet doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you wet. Just for any of you out there that are of the Baptist persuasion that thinks because you got dunked in city water, somehow now you are saved, you're wrong. There are seven baptisms in the Bible. One of them is a spiritual. All the rest of them are physical. And God says in this verse, there's one baptism. Okay. Hmm. I watch Sesame Street. I can figure this out. One of these things is not like, you know, the other, you know, I can figure this out. It's what God did in you the moment you got saved. Now, should you get baptized? Absolutely. So I told you about that friend that got saved at church. I tried to tell him you need to come to church. Couldn't get him to go to church. I told him, if you got saved, you should get baptized. Couldn't get him baptized. But he's saved. Still going to heaven. But guess what? He's losing out. He's losing out. And I love him. I still try to pray for him. I still try to encourage him. But he's losing out. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 14. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance. That's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to put you in remembrance. Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. And then it goes on and on. And it talks about some people and some things that they were trying to subvert and overthrow 
the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn over to Revelation chapter 22 and we'll close. Revelation chapter 22. I want you to read verse 12 with me. Revelation 22:12 says, "And behold, I come what quickly. I come quickly. I don't know about you, but I saw somebody back in July. They were of complete health as far as I could tell, and now they're gone. Sometimes God does come quickly in ways that we don't expect. She's a nurse. She's slender. She eats and does all the right things. I mean, like, sickeningly so. She's like, does work out and rides bike and does all the stuff you're supposed to do. Guess what? When it's time to go, it's time to go. Then it continue with me. And my reward is with me to give every man as according as his work shall be. So the work that you did when God shows up, it's payback time. And that, that time's coming closely. It, it's not something that's far away. I think there are people who in the 70s thought, hey, the rapture's got to happen soon. There are people in the 80s saying the rapture's got to happen soon. And they're in the 90s. And then, it's, oh, it's the year 2000. The rapture's got to happen soon. But the more you study the Bibles, one of you thinks on look at the world and how messed up we're getting as a world where we can't even, we don't even know anything anymore. We really don't. The Lord's coming soon. And the thing is that limits how much time we have available to do what he's asked us to do. I don't know what he's asked you to do. I know that one of the things the Lord talked to me about this year to just be totally honest is I've talked to the Lord and said, look, Lord, if you provide an opportunity to preach, I'm going to show up. I didn't want to do that for lots of reasons. One, I'm not worthy. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Two, who am I as a sinner to go to somebody else and tell them, hey, I'm going to get up in front of you and I'm going to preach to you and try to get you to do stuff that I may have that same problem as you. But ultimately it came down to a really simple thing. The Lord came to my heart one time and he, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Come on. It's like, how? why would there be any doubt? Yeah. We do something if I ask you to do it. Lord, I'll do anything for you. You just, you know, you just send me that registered letter and I will be happy to do whatever you want. And the Lord goes, will you feed my sheep? Yeah, but Lord, you know, I'm an introvert and I don't like being in front of people. Do you love me? Because see, when he talks to you like that, it's going to be a still of all voice. It is not going to be some glowing trumpet sounds. Or maybe for you it is. It wasn't for me. It's I had to quiet me down and shut me up and go, Lord, speak to me. So that's what I've done and just trying to be transparent and honest. That's why I'm here. I am not here for any other reason. I'm here because I told God, if you open the door, then I will begrudgingly go through it and do the best job I can, however pathetic that may be. Why? Because I want to be a servant. Why? Because I want to have some rewards. Why? I want to be used by him. Because let's face it, all of us, I told you before, we all have different talents. I can't get up here and play the piano. I can't sing. So I can't praise the Lord and get in front of you and sing something special or sing in the congregational thing. Everybody around me is going like this. I can't do that. But I can stand up and say something for him. Not only can I do that, I can pass out a tract. I already told you, sometimes my methods are a little stodgy. I may be in Walmart, and I may not want to do the whole thing, and so I'll just, you know, and then keep walking. (laughs) Right? But I'm trying in my own way to be the best servant I can be. Why? Because that's what he wants me to be. He's like, look, I've done so much for you. Can't you just do a little thing for me? Can't you just, can't you just pray with me for a little while? And let's pray about this situation. Can't you just do this? There's somebody I love and care for, and I want to see him get saved. Can't you go talk to him? Yeah, but Lord, I don't like him. I'm not asking them for you. I'm asking for me. I'm saying, I love them. And if you love me, you know, that kind of means you should kind of love them. Yeah, but I I, I really don't. I, 
doesn't matter, just do it anyways. Because when we get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on the Lord, some great things can happen. God can give you some experiences. And yes, you're going to go through some difficult times like Brother Ken's going through, but you're going to get to see some things that are totally beyond what you can possibly imagine. You're going to see God move. And one of the problems we have with our generations today is we have too few people that have seen what God can really do. Why? Because they, they, they're so far from him. Amen. They're so far from him. They don't know what it's like to get down on their knees and pray and ask God on a prayer request and see him answer something. Hey, it wasn't that long ago. Everybody here as a church family got down on their knees and prayed for Ken. And God did a work. God took somebody who Ken was 100% against, never wanted to see again, and allowed him to put another pick line in the other side. That was God responding to a prayer request of this church family. Praise God for that. That's Don't forget the blessings of God. Don't forget when God moves. We have a generation that needs to know we have a God that listens, and not only that, he answers. It's just not always the answer we want to have. Believe me, for Alice's life, I pray, God, please, if it, if you wouldn't mind, please save her life. But, Lord, let your will be done. That's where we need to be in our heart. God, I want this, but let your will be done. Because my will might be wrong. My will might be wrong. Your will might be wrong. But we need God's will done. Because let's face it, where are we going with our love and our desires and our everything else? Is it really making you happy? You getting a lot of joy? Joy unspeakable, full of glory? That's what the Lord has to offer. The world can't offer that. The Lord, the world, the best it can do is give you some little thing to possibly give you some excitement, some pleasure, some pleasure in sin for a season. And then it's going to go away. And then what? You're looking for the next thing and the next thing. God says, I want to move in with you and have a relationship with you from now and to eternity. But it's a choice that you have to make. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't. I don't know the struggles you're going through. I don't know the problems that you've had, the difficulties you have. I don't know those. Brother Dan, can you come up? I don't know them. I may never know them, but I can tell you this. I do know that I serve a good God that can minister to your need. He can give you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want, but he knows to give you what you need. And so, Brother Dan, you come on up here. He's going to lead us in a song of worship for the Lord. And while he does this song, I want to ask you a question. If you're not 100% sure you're saved, please come up here. Find me. Find some other people at the church that you know and ask them, how can I be 100% sure? The second thing is, if there's something between you and the Savior, there's something between you and the brethren, there's something that's in there and there's a root of bitterness in your heart, let's give it to the Lord. Come on up here, get down on your knees and say, God, please help me with this. This is a burden that I have that I don't know how to get rid of. Please help me. Maybe you're dealing with something else in your life with health or other things. This altar is open so you can put the flesh down, deny the flesh, to come up here and try to do something spiritual with the Lord. When's the last time you went to the Lord in a prayer request and it's like, Lord, how about I just sit down here and don't say a thing and you talk to me? Just, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to keep just sitting here, Lord, because I need to hear from you. When's the last time you know the Lord talked to you? How long has it been? Does it need to be another day, another week, another month? Let the Lord have his way with your heart.